Welcome to the Sales Globe Rethink Sales Podcast. I'm Mark Danolo. And I'm Michelle Seeker. And we're going to be talking this time, Michelle, about our top 25 sales effectiveness predictions for 2021. Yeah, this is a really exciting podcast that we're going to have. And, you know, Mark, you and I have been working on these. Gosh, we spent maybe the last four weeks or so, um, about four weeks, developing them. But it was really as a result of all the work and all the things that we've been collecting in analytics over the last year. Yeah, a lot of conversations, a lot of analytics, a lot of isolation in the deep thought. (laughs) That's true. So it's a virtual crystal ball. It's like a crystal ball. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And you actually reminded me, Mark. So for those of you that do not know, we have a round table that we host every two weeks. And uh, we, we post those on our YouTube channel. So you can catch this one on the YouTube channel and you can see Mark and I and that crystal ball that we use to help us develop our predictions. These are all, um, as you said, Michelle, indicators, things that we're seeing that may be indicating what's ahead for us in 2021. And we're trying to understand, you know, the potential future of sales so that we can be better problem solvers, better, be better data-driven, creative problem solvers. So if we know these things, then we can say, well, you know, is it going to continue on in this way? Are things going to change? So we want to give you some of our, our favorites here. Yes, we could only pick a few. Uh, But again, just like, you know, Mark said, when we, uh, if you would like to get the materials we're going to show today, we believe there's a lot of value for your organization and for others that you know your peers. So please be sure to spread the word. So Mark, why don't we get right into our first um, observation and prediction. So we've been telling everybody fear and financials are going to be the big drivers of behavior for uh, companies, sales and customers. We want to break that into a couple of pieces. So the first one is really fear and liability. So, you know, fear about, is it going to continue? Is it going to come back? Um, how long are we going to keep going on like this? Uh, we pulled a few stats here and we're making some, some conclusions or some therefores about what you might yeah. want to do about it. So um, we've seen a couple different surveys recently. One of them right up here from uh, Pew Research Center, 39% of people say they definitely or probably won't take the vaccine. And we've seen a few other sources that are very similar. Right, 40%. Um, yeah, so you've got a lot so. of people that are still skeptical, even as the vaccine yeah. is coming out. And I think months ago we were saying, well, when the vaccine comes out, everything's going to go back to normal. But we know there's going to be considerable cycle time in that. And then we've got Dr. Fauci here saying, you got to have at least 75% of the population vaccinated to build herd immunity. So there's kind of a big delta there, right? Right. Even if you get a lot more people that say they're going to, they're going to take it, it's going to take some cycle time. So the big conclusion here is the vaccine is not the panacea for uh, the the sales environment, at least not in the near term. So uh, caution is going to continue far into 2021. So at, you know, at the beginning of 20, mid 20, we're going, okay, well, we'll be getting back to normal during 2021. Probably not. Uh, so it's going to continue to limit the ability of us to uh, connect, uh, salespeople to connect with, with yeah. teams, their teams, and with customers. And we're probably going to be operating in this mode for some time. So this will be uh, the new normal. We'll get into the details of what this means in terms of, of sales organizations. Yeah. And Mark, um, 
on one of our previous roundtables, we had talked about just one other stat I want people to, to think about is there was that Fortune uh, magazine, they did a, a survey and it had 98% of the Fortune 500 CEOs participated and 68%, and this would have been back in October, said that even if a vaccine came out, they were still planning on not reopening their offices. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, just like what you said, people are continuing to be cautious. Right. So as we're looking at the hybrid models we've been using, as we're looking at how we're looking differently at uh, total addressable market, uh, territories, even compensation, a lot of those assumptions are probably going to continue uh, continue further along. So we want to plan for that. Here's another one. This one's from Gallup, uh, kind of a similar yeah. uh, finding here as well. And you can see the dark line represents the uh, percentage of people that say they will not take the vaccine. And the green line represents the percentage of people that say, uh, yes, they will take the vaccine. You can see that was about 50-50 in September, and then it moved back to about 42 percent uh, which is where it is right yeah. now so kind of some similar results from a few uh, different sources here so um, uh, so that's uh, I think that, that, that that's a, a big indicator of continuing right. what's on ahead in the current, so the, the vaccine current. it's not a panacea right yep. all right so then let's look at the other side of it uh, so we said fear and financials number two financial savings we'll take the financial piece financial savings from less commercial real estate and t e right. travel and entertainment uh, will be tempting for now, right? So a lot of companies are saying, gosh, uh, you know, we have people working at home. We can continue on with this model for some period of time because it's a lot more efficient and we don't have to have people traveling in the office running at the commute time. Uh, but we think things are going to probably start to swing back. A few interesting stats here, Michelle. Yes. Uh, so we had the uh, commercial office vacancy rate in the U.S. Uh, pre-pandemic uh, at the end of 2019 that was about 9%. And you can see that's up to about 15% right now. Now that doesn't even include all the unoccupied real estate that's sitting out there, just that's not correct. being used, right? Yep, that's right. So we got a lot of empty space sitting yep. out there. Uh, we have 42% of workers, now it's just not just salespeople, but workers across the board who are working from home. And you go, well, yeah, that makes sense. But we compare to where it was, it was 7%. I know, you know, there was increase. this perception that a lot of people actually did work from home, but really nationally, it was 7%. Right. And now it's 42 that are permanently working from home as far as they know. So I don't believe that this includes all the temporary workers. Right. right. Yeah. So, so you've got, you've got a situation here where there's a lot of empty space, a lot of empty real estate, uh, some companies, a lot of companies under long-term leases that are going to continue to to hold wow. that space, but it may not be occupied. And then you've got 18% of sales workers nationally in the U.S. that were have been laid off. Now, we're just talking about layoffs here. We'll talk later about our anticipation of turnover uh, for those people as well. Yeah. So some conclusion points or some therefores based on this. So um, we think that having the, this, this separation is going to impact productivity. We'll talk about that a little bit further uh, in a few minutes here, but it's going to diminish the level of cl uh, collaboration, diminish the level of productivity. When you think about people in call centers, as an example, and we say, well, you know, people can work at home because they're working on the phone anyway, because they're doing customer service work or, or they're working um, uh, on the phone anyway in a call center. Well, you know, you have people sitting by themselves, a call center by definition is a center of excellence. So people yeah. work together. So you're even losing collaboration in call centers, but we're going to see decreasing collaboration, decreasing productivity 
um, companies are going to start to swing back, we believe, and they're going to do it in two ways. One is they're going to look at collaborative workspaces, and we can already see some of that coming up here in Atlanta, which is uh, places where people can go and get out of the house and go meet with other people or get peaceful work environments away from away from the kids and, and, and every other distraction, right? So, um, so we think we're going to see a swing toward more collaborative workspaces, socially distanced. And then the one I find really interesting is I think we're going to see a swing back to commercial real estate with people coming back, but it's going to be socially distanced. I think we, we, all, we all know that. But the irony in this is it was all the rage, Michelle, uh, to do the open office space and right. collaborative office space. And I know Lord as we were, no we were setting up our, our, our office here at Sales Globe yeah. in the studio, we were doing a lot of that. It's like, well, people want to be close together, want to be working together. And we're like, Wait, you can't even make a phone call, right? Right. So now I kind of feel good about this one. We're going to start, you know, distancing a little bit. And so what does that mean? Well, that's going to, going to probably offset some of the commercial real estate yes. uh, um, uh, vacancy, right? So we're going to see some absorption in commercial real estate. It's going to start to come back and we're going to start to have more square foot per person in the commercial real estate than we had before. Does that mean you might move out of my office? <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking the other way around, but <laughs> <laughs> yep, I, I believe that that's right. Marketing. Okay, so yep. so so fear and financials, couple couple of big trends. So we'll start to get a little bit deeper into the sales piece here now. Yeah, so geographic boundaries will matter less, and I believe that people have heard us. Some have heard us say that, right? That prediction's been around. But what do we know? That sixty eight percent of sales leaders say that they're adopting a hybrid selling model in twenty twenty one. Hybrid selling model, you're going to hear this word now. Um, as we're researching, we're finding that it's becoming very commonplace to use that. And it means that I'm, I've got a combo job, right? Some of it is remote. Some of it is an office. Some of it may be on site. We actually are hearing about some people that are starting to travel again, although not to the extent that they were. And we'll see that validated, Mark, as we look at what is happening with the airline industry in, uh, shortly. And then we've got 70% of buyers say that they prefer remote human contact over digital self-serve. So what does that mean? That means that good news, everyone, we've been saying it all along, the sales role isn't dead. There is a place for human interaction, and it just may be that a lot more of it is not face-to-face. -face. Now, where that's going to play out, we're not exactly sure yet how much will be in person, how much will be remote. Um, but what we do know is that your role of your salesperson will not be taken over by digital. It will not be taken over by bots. What we are finding is that those that are looking at shifting their selling models already are doing things like virtual selling. So, Mark, we're, um, we are currently consulting with a, a very large retailer in, uh, in Europe. They're like Best Buy. And I realized through this that Best Buy is doing the same thing. They actually have a virtual shopping experience where you can have a Zoom call and you're talking to an associate who's physically in the store and they're walking around and showing you the product. So, you know, that's that's not like digital bot. That's a real person that's taking you around that store. I went to deposit a check the other day at the bank and they made me go up not to the person in the bank, but up to the uh, ATM. Yeah. I don't say ATM machine because that's redundant, but the, the ATM. And then there's a person's face on the ATM and they're yeah. sitting at a call center and they greet me and it's interactive and they're talking back and forth. And I'm like, and I said, well, why can't I just do, you know, deposit a check here? 
oh well this is our lounge area we don't we don't do that here oh, anymore interesting. So, so that's moved digital as well wow so the virtual sales model it's going to enable coverage without geographic constraints we just gave you a couple simple examples that um, that uh, are in retail but we are seeing that it's in b2b sales across the country actually across the world so so that means michelle that uh geographic territories yes but we're probably going to be starting to look at sectors across those territories and not be bound by those geographic limitations anymore so as we're setting up territories we might be saying well things are going to be different geography by geography but maybe what we realize is there are certain sectors that are coming back stronger than others and then we can start to focus on the ones that are stronger good lead in mark to the sectors did you know were you predicting that we were going to I was talk predicting that sectors? slide was going to come up. Yeah. I think he was predicting that. So you're you're exactly right. And let's talk a little bit about this model. So the information that you're looking at right now is from our partner Corterra. And what they have is a very large percentage of B2B, what what companies serving B2B are buying. So it's their buying behaviors. And basically what they buy shows the health of that, of that um, business. So what we're finding is that uh, this is the, let's see, this is data through November. And we compared this to the end of Q2, Q3, right? Yeah, we compared it to the end of Q3. So we have found on the uh, professional computer equipment, the wholesalers, that's about flat. But let's talk about a couple that are up. Right, yeah. when we talk about this. So we'll talk about the data and then the impact. Electronics and appliance stores, they're up, I think about uh, 20% or so from where they were at the end of Q2. And that's because what we're finding is that people are continuing to work from home and they're starting to have to buy some appliances. I mean, gosh, I'm hearing people that are even buying new washers because they're doing more laundry. Yeah, and so that, that's definitely happening. coming up from where it, where it was. So yeah. um, the numbers you see here are year over year. So Correct. electronic yes. and appliance stores up 66% year over year. And like you said, Michelle, they were it was about um, 49% uh, as of the last reading um, at the end of last quarter. So right. still moving really strong uh, in terms of, of an increase, yeah. Right, so that's a good point, Mark. I didn't, I, I didn't state that this is these numbers are looking at same period from 2019 to 2020. Um, so we see that construction of buildings is up, which that was really interesting because when we looked at it last quarter, it was actually down. So construction appears to be coming back. Right, and that's probably a lagging one too because uh, it was down 18% yeah. last time we looked at it. Now it's up 24%. So there's there's been a big swing there. And you, you know we know that there's uh, uh, the real estate market is hot, uh, especially yeah. uh, residential real estate. And there's a lot more building happening now. So that's probably reflecting that as well. That's right. And look at clothing stores. They're up. Yeah, that wasn't even on the list last time we talked about this. Nope. So um, and there are a couple indicators here. You can see patterns, right? So clothing stores are coming back. People are starting to purchase clothing uh, yep. more because last time we looked, it wasn't wasn't even there. So that, no. so that's appearing, right? No, I'm hearing from people, a lot of sales out there, Mark. But I also think that people are... Um, you know, they're, they're dressing up a little bit for some of these meetings. I am, I am starting to hear that a little bit from others. I talked to a guy yesterday on a call yeah. and he was wearing a button down shirt and he said, yeah, I got to a point where I just had to put a button down shirt on again. Cause I just had to feel normal Yeah. because I was starting to feel just kind of like all I'm doing is wearing t-shirts and, and stuff, you know? Oh, 
Back to the best COVID story. I mean, I know we're in the middle of something, but what about the NBA saying that the coaches don't have to wear suits right, anymore? Right, you don't have to wear suits anymore I mean, during a game as an NBA coach because the COVID gets on the suit. Maybe I'm I not guess. sure about that. I figured, I figured the logic behind it was if you're in your sweats, you can just walk into the locker room, take them off, and throw them in a washer, but your suit has to be dry cleaned. So what's that going to do to the dry cleaning industry, Michelle? Yeah, that's already been All those suffering. NBA coaches are not going to be dry cleaning anymore. Nope, they aren't. So what do we know? That territories we believe will begin to focus on rebounding sectors that have the highest potential. Um, let's see what else is going on. What's maybe not doing so well, Mark? Right. Okay. So take a look at uh, the ones in the, we, we just kind of put a box around the ones that are down 20% or more, and I'll, yep. I'll call out a couple. Now, these are real interesting, right? Yes. <clears throat> Air transportation was it was uh, or is down 25 percent and you go wow that's really bad it was down 45 percent. Right. so that yep. would indicate that we're starting to see some more traveling yeah. some of that's probably due to thanksgiving and, and maybe the anticipation of the holidays and again this is purchasing from Correct. air transportation companies yep. so they may be you know buying in anticipation of these things as well and the other one that caught my eye was accommodation so yes that's down uh 55 percent so they're not talking investing, about hotels. they're not buying. It was right. down 35%. So accommodation yeah. has gotten worse. Yet you see Airbnb going public yesterday, right? Yes. So um, the yes. non-hotel accommodations may be, you know, staying at homes may be actually preferable to the hotels at this point. Yes, I read something actually in the Wall Street Journal this week, and they said that um, people are choosing to stay in place like an Airbnb or a home where they can just be with their family. They feel they have a better control over you know, who they're in contact with. Yeah, these, these places like Airbnb, HomeAway, they, they actually are short on inventory right now yes. because people still don't want to rent their homes out. So they're trying to get people, the owners to actually uh, free up inventory so that they can, they can rent out more. So um, yeah, so travel's up, accommodations are down. So people are traveling, but they're staying somewhere else other than hotels. Right. Yeah, it's kind of So crazy. we'll see how that one plays out actually, uh, you know, after the holidays and see how much of that was really just related to staying with family or actually going somewhere else. Yep. Okay, well, let's talk about teams and collaboration. So what do we know? We know that 33% of employees who say employers are providing effective ways to collaborate just 33%. That's kind of a low number, don't you think, Mark? Yeah, and I, and I think um, you, you got to think about the employers too. Uh, they have to find new ways to help people collaborate. They so, do, yeah. you know, we've been deferring off onto video conferencing and, and things like that. And gosh, a couple of months ago, Michelle, we asked the question about video conferencing. We said, okay, it's great. This is accelerating technologies like this, but there has to be a paradigm shift where things really change in terms of how we yeah. collaborate. So, yep. you know, again, we were talking about this idea of um, how do we get beyond just the, the, the camera and the screen and, and the microphone, is there some mm -hmm. way that we can better connect? So perhaps some new yeah. technologies do that. We, we don't know. There but are. Well, there's some whiteboarding technologies out there. There's like a lot of technology. I, I just thought that was a low number. 33% said that they're providing effective. That means that 70 are saying they're just not, right. you know, um, and actually 75%, if we look at that, the rest of the story, 75% of employees say collaboration is suffering the most due to work from home. But what I find really interesting about that is that a vast majority in a similar, another study said that uh, the vast majority of people who are working from home would like to continue working from home. 
So it's, it's just a lot of stuff going on out there. And then you've got the C-suite who's saying, well, oh my God, productivity, it is suffering. Now we have been talking to people and we had actually been, and we hear that productivity is suffering. A lot of the things that you read out there though, I don't know, Mark, a lot of the things that are being reported in the press, they're saying productivity is fine, but that's not what the C-suite is saying. Right. So uh, 86% of the C-suite say that's their, their top concern. Top concern so is if you think about the, the puts and the takes, yeah. and this is on our big list of 25, Michelle, when you guys yeah. have a chance to take a look at that, which is, uh, efficiency is going up, efficiency of contact. Yes. We talked about this before. So people aren't on planes and trains anymore. So it's easier to get a hold of people, easier to have meetings. So that would be a, uh, that would be a, 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 a um, increase in productivity. Yes. Uh, but then you're having less collaboration. Like we said at the outset, that would be it's a true, decrease yeah. in productivity. Uh, you're going to have probably some lower price points on products because we're coming out or companies are coming out with new products that are perhaps easier to buy. So that could, that could take uh, average revenue down. Uh, or productivity down. So you've got some puts and takes on productivity. Yes. Um, aside from just people, um, you know, feeling like they're they're being more productive. Now, one of the other one of the other positives, and we talked about this uh, a couple of months ago as well, is people actually have more efficient or more time during the day to work mm -hmm. if they are really yeah. working the entire day because they're not commuting. Right. You know, an hour each yeah. way or 30 minutes each way. So that's that's adding time back in as well. So uh, and we'll talk about this relative to sales capacity in a few minutes, but but that's going to that's going to uh, shift things around a bit. So the big conclusion is that there's going to be pressure to find better ways to work with teams and customers. And the other point we wanted to make is that work from home is here to stay, but jobs are going to evolve into hybrid remote office model uh, moving forward now. Remember that term, because I, I said this uh, a little bit earlier, you want to remember the words, it's hybrid remote office model. And that means that that is a role that is working part of the time remotely and from home and part of the time in an office. Now, Mark, I would like to bring up one collaboration story that I did bring up last week, but I think it's just another, um, it's, it's another thing that supports all these things that are being said. So I've told people that I'm part of the Downtown Development Authority and we're making decisions for uh, that are gonna impact the city of Roswell where we live and where we happen to work. And uh, that we were, we were elected and put in our place um, just before COVID hit. And we have not seen each other all year. And all year we've really been focused on a couple of things that we've been just trying to get through. And we met together, it's a team of seven, as a team in a socially distanced, safe environment at City Hall this month for the first time. It's the first time we have been together face-to-face -face since we've been elected officials and started actually working in our capacity. We got more done in that two and a half hour meeting than we got done all year. And it had nothing to do with the fact that we didn't have our act together or you know, but it had everything to do with the fact that when you're collaborating and making big decisions, there's something to be said about being able to communicate face to face and it just comes across a little bit more clear. Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah. Yep. All right. So, Mark, I, I think it's time for us to move on and talk about some things that are near and dear to your heart. Right. So you take all these pieces and mm -hmm. what that means with all the puts and takes we talked about is sales capacity models are going to need to recalibrate. So yeah. again, you think about lack of collaboration, you think higher efficiency, you think about differences in price points, uh, you think about um, all the different factors that may be uh, impacting productivity 
and you need to recalibrate uh, the sales capacity model. And you can see the uh, uh, the quota success model here from the book quotas that we we uh, borrowed for this uh, visual here. But sales capacity we is going to win from the author. We borrowed it from with the, the author's author. permission. Yes, I throw <laughs> okay. it on the slide here. But your sales capacity is going to be a, a counterbalancing factor with your market opportunity. So we talked a little bit about market opportunity, Michelle, yep. and, and you can see way over there, you got market opportunity on the right hand side. And so that has to do with things like we were talking about with the territories, like which industries are we going to be focusing on and uh, who's buying and who's not and what geographies are going to be focusing on. So it's enough. It's fine to have a, a, enough market opportunity, but you yeah. have to have the sales capacity to go after it. So as you move to or continue with hybrid models, do not assume your sales capacity is the same. You need to recalibrate that. So the old, old assumptions uh, need to change and uh, you're going to have to look at new data sources for market opportunity. And we talked about one already from from Corterra, and there, there are many others out there as well. But you can't be just looking at, you know, how many employees does a customer have and multiplying that by some factor to come up with some estimate of your total addressable market, because that is obsolete and that's actually a changing number. So if you can find data sources like we're talking about that are up to date, say of the last month about what they're actually doing, that will give you a, a, a big benefit. And, um, uh, and Mark, we had some, a guest on our roundtable mm -hmm. last week, and that was talking about how you could you should be thinking about parallels even to your industry to look for untapped sources of of data that maybe you hadn't considered before, mm -hmm. right? And because what you are what we're saying is that history is history, and the traditional data sources of that we will have used maybe for 2021, they're just not going to work. Right. Yeah. And we'll yeah. talk about that, you know, relative to market opportunity, but also in a few minutes relative to compensation. So yeah. the old data looking at history is just not going to apply anymore. So look at your sales capacity. Um, we do this a lot for companies and it's a real eye opener because they can find out what they actually have to have in terms of a model to achieve their sales goals. So when you look at your goals for 2021, you're going to have to know, um, what you're going to need to get there. So let's talk about those goals now, those quotas, Michelle, because this has been a big question since the beginning of the year, which is what do we do with quotas? Yeah, it, it has come up since uh, March, mm -hmm. actually, the end of March. And, and the answer was in the beginning, nothing. Yeah. And then uh, the answer became, okay, we're going to go to more discrete quarterly quotas during 2020 so we can get more visibility on what's going on. And then um, during all of this, companies were reforecasting. So they're yeah. trying to figure out what's going on. And then some companies or a lot of companies have adjusted full year quotas uh, as well. So then you get to the question of, okay, we're right at the precipice of 2021. What are we going to do? Well, quotas may become shorter term to account for that uncertainty. Mm -hmm. And we know that we're going to have to move from uh, history to uh, market opportunity or account opportunity driven quotas because history is history. So we know that about 40% of companies use history in their quota setting to some degree as some part of their yeah. quota setting. And if you're doing that for uh, 2019, uh, 2020 history, obviously that's not going to work for 2021 or maybe it will, you know, hopefully it doesn't. Uh, 2019 history is not going to work for 2021. So we have to yeah. find an alternative to that. So um, what we are seeing is that some companies are looking at doing semi-annual quotas for 2021. So setting two six-month quotas. Some other companies are looking at doing a full year quota 
with an acknowledged mid-year adjustment to see where they are. And some companies are going for it and doing the full year quota for uh, 2021, which is, you know, placing a big bet on a lot of uncertainty. So, um, so three different camps we're seeing, but uh, we haven't seen as many of the, uh, uh, in the past, we haven't seen as many companies doing these half-year quotas as we are now. So that's becoming a lot more common. And, and Michelle, this has to be balanced with the longer sales cycles, right? So things are yeah. taking longer to close. We sure yeah. are hearing that. That's been a common theme that, that sales are taking longer to close. Right. So, yep. so sales capacity, and then how do you set a quota for 2021? And how do you account for the longer sales cycles? And then what we believe we're going to see a lot more as well, which is in the 25 predictions and one of our, our uh, therefores uh, right here is strategic account planning. Yep. Okay, so strategic account planning is going to become more intentional um, because the best way to be able to help customers is to understand customers. So we're not going to be able to perhaps sell at the same level or surface uh, level that we have before. So we're working with a lot of clients now on reinvigorating how they're doing their strategic account planning and understanding what's going on. And in particular, for those big accounts in the industries that we know are going to be strong mm -hmm. industries, right? Right. So uh, yep. moving from the opportunistic to the strategic, and we talk about strategic account planning, you know, there's, there's one big thing we hear, Michelle, do you know what that is? Ugh. That's moans. That's exactly, it is moans. We hear a lot of moans, right? It's we hear moans and groans. And then the next thing you hear is people recite the table of contents of a strategic yes. account plan because they yes. all know what a strategic account plan <laughs> yes. is. It's almost like they've been beaten with the strategic account plan and it's left its mark on their brains, right? So they know what the, the table of contents is. That's right. <laughs> but what we discover about strategic account planning with companies, with, with, with sales teams, is that becomes this, this rote exercise Yes. where they spend the most time filling out the information, filling out the history, filling out the blanks, and then saying in some kind of um, uh, labored fashion, uh, okay, well, so this is what we're going to do for next year. And this is what we're going to do for the next two years, next three years. And it's uninspired, right? Okay, yeah. so I want to share a couple of ideas with you on strategic account planning. We'll come back to this in another time. We we'll go deeper. You can, you can talk to us. One is you're going to have to have an aspiration for your account plan. Aspiration means you're going to have to have a big audacious goal for that. And yes. then it's for a couple of reasons. One is to reset how the team thinks about the account. And as the other is to reset how the customer thinks about the account. The other thing you're going to need is, is to get beyond the boxes and filling out the blanks. So you're going to need to get to how do we solve the customer's problem? So we, you need to get to a pipeline build that's going to be two and a half to three times your goal for that account for the year. And you're going to have to uh, look at opportunities or, or come up with opportunities that the team has not initially thought about by getting closer to the client. And it's, and it's by the combination of what can we sell to them, the traditional, yeah. what can we partner with somebody else to sell to them? And then what can we sell with them? How can we partner with them? So there are a few yeah. different dimensions. So you've got to get into, we talk about creative problem solving, you got to get into the creative problem solving on the strategic account planning. So so that's a really important bullet point. You know? Yeah, it, it's, yeah, there's a lot in there. Um, and we will be talking more about that in January, Mark, because we do believe strategic account planning is definitely going to be a differentiator. That is one of our predictions. Yes. All right. And then Paymix, getting Mark. into compensation a little bit yes. here. So uh, Paymix, 60% um, of organizations 
have plans with at least 200% upside potential for the 90th percentile performers. So uh, we're seeing a move toward more upside potential in plans. And what we believe we're going to see in 2021 is a shift to pay mix becoming more aggressive to emphasize uh, performance and lower fixed investment. So with the uncertainty, we think we're going to probably see a shift toward moving some of that to the sales organization in return for additional increased upside opportunity. Okay. So you can see by the diagram here that a lot of, a lot of people have seen, you know, the basic idea here, your target incentive, and then your ratio of target incentive above your uh, target total compensation, that's going to go up. So there's going to be greater rewards for the performers. Okay. Mark, I've heard some companies say, and we, we've talked to some people and they're, they're asking themselves, gosh, maybe I should fix, you know, have a, a greater uh, salary base pay and then less incentive. And we're saying not so fast. If you, if you, uh, and those companies tend to not understand the concept of really upside and upside is what that your high performance can actually achieve. So really pay attention to that because you can tie performance to um, of what the pay really looks like and you should continue to do that. So don't let uh, what you believe the fear and financials are going to drive, don't let them uh, force you into thinking you need to increase your fixed pay. Take a look at the upside in the plan. Yep. And so yep. let's look a little bit further on, on this. So yeah. uh, the, um, the benchmarks, Michelle, I think this is an important one yes. to mention here. So everybody that's used to getting your annual surveys, participating in your annual pay surveys, and getting your annual surveys from the big survey houses. Um, I'm sorry, big survey houses, but this is going to become obsolete very quickly because it's gonna be old information. So if you're getting your annual information, by the time you get it, it's gonna be old. So there's going to be a shift toward doing more uh, rapid insight or rapid pay benchmarking on a faster cycle, probably closer in on the competitors that you're most concerned about Mm -hmm. because the information is gonna be timely and it's gonna be current and it's not gonna be aged. We have seen a huge increase in requests for rapid pay benchmarks, right, Mark. Right. We have seen that as we've gone through the, the pandemic this year. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so that, that'll be a change. And then uh, let's talk about inside sales and, and field sales. Uh, yeah. So what we know is that there is a pay difference of, a, it runs 20 to 50, so an average of 35% between what was pre-pandemic considered an inside selling role and its similar field sales role. And what we believe is that the gap between inside sales and traditional field sales, it's going to narrow. There are other predictions we have around that. We've talked about the hybrid selling role, and we've even talked about teaming of what those roles do. So even though they both may be working from the inside, if you will, this is all about roles and responsibilities and who's responsible for what part of the revenue. So expect that the gap between inside sales and those traditional field sales that it will narrow. So take a look at that as well as you're looking at your overall pay. And, we, and we've heard that story about companies looking at their their field salespeople now working yes. virtually. Okay, do I reclassify them as inside salespeople? They don't fit the pay Not bands. So fast. You're going to have to get that out of your head in terms of these structural constraints because that right. inside or virtual is really just going to be a mode. Of, you know, of and contact. it never really was about I'm just in the fields and I'm just inside four walls. It was about the roles and responsibilities and those haven't changed so much. Mm -hmm. It's just how you go about your job has changed. All right, now let's talk about uh, measures. 
What we know is that revenue will continue to remain the key compensation metric with an increase in use of bookings. That's our prediction is bookings are going up. Now, what we know from a survey we did earlier this year with World at Work, it had over 400 companies in that 78% of those companies said that they use total revenue for account managers with 60% of it using it for new account sellers. So we know that revenue remains king. And we believe that when we talked about this elongated selling cycle, that there will be a portion that will be paid on bookings and the rest paid on actual realized revenue. Yep. So um, uh, plans themselves, and we'll talk about this here as well, are going to become simpler too. That's right. So we know that they'll become simpler. 25% in, in uh, that survey that we did again with World at Work, they said they use only one performance measure. Now, in 2016, they did a similar survey, and 71% of it, it was, uh, it's up 71% from the number that it is now. So um, companies are, are getting more simplified, and we are being asked to simplify. And, you know, part of that is, now people are working remote. You need a simpler way to measure their results. They need an easier way to understand. And it's not going to happen as, as, e as easy when you're communicating through Zoom or across some of the, the platforms, even Salesforce. So we are being asked to look at simplicity. Um, and companies are even focusing on the technology that will help them manage those plans as well. And so that's providing more latitude as well as 2021 comes up where... Yep. Uh, instead of saying, well, we, we need you to sell these certain product groups or sell to certain types of customers or whatever the, the uh, uh, stipulations might be in a plan, typically gives more flexibility as, as 2021 happens uh, and strategies shift. What it right. also does is it, it does transfer more of that responsibility onto the sales manager. So we've sure got does. sales managers are going to have to do uh, a better job of, um, of leading and directing the front line instead right. of allowing the plan to do all of that. So it's almost like taking some of the, the governors or regulators off the plan and shifting that to management. Well, that's true. So Mark, we know that the majority of people that are promoted into management happen to be the best sellers. And we also know that the role that they played was actually sitting beside their sales rep and actually help closing deals. And in fact, many times we would hear that they were they would be the main front seller in many cases. Mm -hmm. And so that's got to change. It, it needed to change. But now with people working remote, these managers, these sales managers are really going to have to learn how to coach their team and not close the deal. All right. So let's dig a bit more into the um, uh, uh, heading ahead here in terms yeah. of, of what the organization and it looks like and how we're going to work with the organization so uh, we think that organizations are going to have better data support capability. Yep. And what that means is that we've talked about the idea that you can't just rely on the relationship anymore with customers to, uh, to make the sale. Uh, we think one of the big differentiators is going to be better problem solving, like yep. we said before, but that's got to be data-driven analytical problem solving. So salespeople are going to have to arrive at the sales call, whether it's virtual or in person, with better information and better recommendations and, and better ability to have uh, problem solving conversations. How do you do that? Well, you have better data about the customer, about their industry, about their situation. How do you do that? Well, salespeople don't have time, right? That's right. So uh, we think we're what we're gonna see in sales organizations is probably uh, uh, more data support capability in terms of uh, teams or organizations to uh, 
develop that information for the sales organization. And the salesperson of the future is going to be the, the data-driven creative problem solver. So they're going to have to, we're going to have to change the playbook and we're going to have to equip sellers to be able to do that better. Yeah, the playbook changed, hasn't it, Mark? Yep, yep. yep. So, so no longer uh, the relationship playbook. Nope. So, uh, so that'll be a big change. And this is probably one of the biggest changes that we're going to talk about here and we'll see in 2021. So mark our words, it's going to be the problem solvers that are going to usurp the, the, the glad, the glad handers and the relationship builders. We're already hearing it. Um, and what we're finding is that customers are actually looking, what are they looking for? They're looking for information. So those that can go to them with, with problems that they can solve for them and they've got data to, to back it up, right? And they're bringing them information. We believe that those ones are going to be the winners, don't we, Mark? Yep. Yeah. So as we sum up our predictions for 2021, there were 25 of them that we have um, uh, gone through. So again, be sure to ask us any questions that you may have, or if you would like this deck, we're happy to send it. And it looks like we may have a question that came through the Q&A. We'll go ahead and take that one. All right, what do we have here, Mark? Um, is your recommendation to adjust quota and not pay mix? Well, I think they're two separate um, yep. components. Uh, the pay mix is going to have to do with the the definition of the job. So, uh, uh, when you when you look at a sales role, you're going to have about probably six or so different factors that are going to be dimensions of that role and and drivers of that pay mix. And, and in the book, uh, what your CEO needs to know about sales compensation, we go into into those in the pay mix estimator. So, they're going to have to do with things like your sales strategy. So new customer selling versus current customer selling and complexity of the sales process, et cetera. That's going to be a driver of payment. So that's why you're going to see a more aggressive payment for a Doberman than for a retriever, right? right? Um, your quotas um, are going to reflect what a stretch level of achievement is for any particular job. So whether you know, you're a Doberman or you're a retriever, there's going to be a stretch level of achievement. So the quota should be reflecting the opportunity in the market for that type, that particular person, if it's an individual quota for that particular type of job. And as we said before, the sales capacity, so the ability for that job to be able to hit that goal, which is going to incorporate things like um, how long does it take for them to uh, manage an account mm -hmm. or sell a new deal? How much sales time do they have available versus contaminated time doing other things? So those are two actually separate variables. So I think you have to look at both of those. Yep. Okay. Well, here's an interesting one about brainstorming and problem solving. So the, the question is, is brainstorming really as effective online as it is in person? In your experience, has COVID affected brainstorm session and, and problem solving? And uh, the answer is, is yes. I believe that it has. Um, when mm -hmm. people are yeah. remotely meeting to problem solve, um, it, it's not quite the same. And actually, I don't know if we brought that stat in, but there, it's an interesting question because there, we couldn't answer all the, we couldn't include all the research that you and I did as we were preparing for today. But one of the big um, issues that CEOs are facing is they said that there's not enough creative problem solving going on in brainstorm sessions that they're not as effective 
and that they've actually put a lot of major initiatives um, on hold, not because they don't have the money to finance and fund them, but because they don't have the right solutions for them yet. Right, right. And yeah. I, I would agree with what you're saying, Michelle. I think, uh, again, this goes back to ways to collaborate, but I think there's just a spatial thing that happens with brainstorming. Yeah, we can sit here and talk about ideas and we can, you know, we can write things down uh, virtually on the screen. Um, but it's very different than, you know, when you're uh, in a room with a couple of whiteboards. I mean, we, we know that. So yeah. it's, I think it's a question of if and when uh, technology can start to enable that better or, you know, when we can start getting back together to do that. Yeah. So what are things that are, are helpful? What well, one of the things that we do, right? We ask everybody, keep your screen on and engage, right? So just talk. There's nothing worse than being on a, a brainstorm session. And then everybody says hi, and then they all turn their cameras off. Has that happened to you? Right, right. Probably hasn't happened to him because he's famous and everybody wants to be <laughs> on screen with him, but it's happened to me. <laughs> Do you know what I find so different now too, is that if somebody actually does join by audio only, yeah, it's almost like, weird. It's yeah, like, what, what's, what's happening I know. where it used to be, you know, you'd hear the prompt when you would dial in for a conference call and, and, and you would, you would, you would hit pound to join the conference call and it was just normal for it to be audio only. Yep. And now the expectation is it's going to be video. And if it's audio only, you're thinking, okay, well, they must've gotten out of the shower, you know, this morning, just recently, they're still getting dressed or something, <laughs> having breakfast or, you know, you're thinking something's going on, right? <laughs> you're walking the dog, but but it, yeah, it's very, it's very different just in terms of our expectations. Yeah, it sure is. Thanks for joining us. And remember, Sales Globe is a data-driven, creative problem-solving firm for sales. Yes, we solve your biggest sales challenges, and we would love to hear from you about yours. You can find us at salesglobe.com and connect with us on LinkedIn.